0: 5. Our fronts the unceasingly increasing forces of the Allies. She had attained the maximum of tension and had secured a minimum of results. She had thus landed herself in a difficulty which will henceforward go on increasing and which is made clear when the wastage which her army has suffered is closely studied. Wastage of German Effectives. Chapter II Of this section of the review bears the headline, Wastage of German Effectives. The wastage of effectives is easy to establish. It says, We have for the purpose two sources the official lists of losses published by the German General Staff and the notebooks, letters, and archives of soldiers and officers killed and taken prisoners. These different documents show that by the middle of January the German losses on the two fronts were 1.800.000 men. These figures are certainly less than the reality, because, for one thing, the sick are not comprised, and, for another, the losses in the last battle in Poland are not included. Let us accept them. However, let us accept also that out of these 1.800.000 men 500.000 this is the normal proportion have been able to rejoin after being cured. Thus the final loss for five months of the campaign has been 1.300.000 men, or 260.000 men per month. These figures agree exactly with what can be ascertained when the variations of effectives in certain regiments are examined. It is certain that the majority of the German regiments have had to be completely renewed. What, then, is the situation created by these enormous losses? This question is answered by a statement headed, German troops available for 1915, the total of German formations known at the beginning of January, says the review, represented in round numbers 4.000.000 men. According to the official reports on German recruiting, The entire resources of Germany in men amount to 9.000.000. But from these 9.000.000 have to be deducted men employed on railways, in the police, and in certain administrations and industries altogether 500.000 men. The total resources available for the war were therefore 8.500.000. Out of these about one half, say 4.000.000. Are now at the front, the definitive losses represent at least 1.300.000 men. The available resources amounted, then, at the beginning of January, to 3.200.000 men. Germany's reserves entrained. Of what are these resources composed, chiefly of men who weren't in time of peace? The trained reservists having almost all left the depots for the front, it has, moreover, to be noted that out of these 3.200.000 and there are, according to the statistics, 800.000 who are more than 39 years of age, and therefore of only mediocre military value, thus there remain 2.400.000. Finally, the category of the untrained in peace comprises, according to the estimates of German military authorities themselves, one quarter of inefficiency. The really valuable resources capable of campaigning are therefore just 2.000.000. These men, comprising the 1915, 1916, and 1917 classes, called out in anticipation, constitute and this point cannot be too strongly insisted upon the total of available resources for the operations during the 12 months of 1915, as to what the military value of these troops will be, considering the haste with which they have been trained. The formidable losses sustained in the Battle of Flanders by the newly formed Corps show very clearly. Their military value will be limited. German losses 260.000 a month. When it is remembered that, according to the German documents themselves, the definite loss each month is 260.000 men, it is manifest that the available resources for the year 1915 will not suffice to fill the gaps of a war of 10 months. It is then superabundantly established that in the matter of effectives Germany has reached the maximum of possible effort, if with the men at present available she creates, as it is certain that she is preparing to do at this moment, fresh formations, she will be preventing herself, if the war lasts another ten months, as is admissible, from being able to complete afresh her old formations, if she creates no new formations. She will have in 1915 exactly what is necessary and no more to complete the existing units afresh. Bearing in mind the ways of the German general staff, one may suppose that, disregarding the eventual impossibility of recompleting, it is still addressing itself to creating new formations. The weakness to which Germany will expose herself in the matter of effectives has just been set forth, and it is easy to show that this weakness will be still further aggravated by the wastage in the regimental orders praises French 75s, in the sixth installment, beginning with the field gun, the famous 75s, the compiler of the report, after rehearsing the splendid qualities of this weapon its power, its rapidity of action, and its precision points out that it possesses a degree of strength and endurance which makes it an implement of war of the first order, it may be stated without hesitation says the review that our 75 guns are in as perfect condition today as they were on the first day of the war. Although the use made of them has exceeded all calculations, the consumption of projectiles was, in fact, so enormous as to cause for a moment an ammunition crisis, which, however, was completely overcome several weeks ago. The methodical and complete exploitation of all the resources of the country, organized since the beginning of the war, has enabled us to accumulate a considerable stock of fresh munitions, and an increasing rate of production is henceforth assured. We are thus sure of being able to provide without particular effort for all the needs of the campaign, present and future, however long the war may last, and it is the certainty which has enabled us to supply projectiles to several of the Allied armies, among others, to the Serbian and Belgian armies. From the statements of German prisoners we have learned that the effectiveness of our new projectiles is superior to that of the old ones. French heavy guns superior. Our heavy artillery was in process of reorganization when the war broke out, with the result that we were indisputably in a position of inferiority in respect of this arm during the first battles. But today the roles have been changed and our adversaries themselves acknowledge the superiority of our heavy artillery. The change has been brought about in various ways, partly by the intense activity of the cannon foundries in new production, partly by the employment at the front of the enormous reserves of artillery preserved in the fortresses. The very large number of heavy guns at the front represents only a part of the total number available for use. There is an abundant stock of projectiles for the heavy artillery, which, as in the case of the field gun ammunition, is daily growing in importance. The same is true of the reserves of powder and other explosives and of all materials needed for the manufacture of shells, with regard to small arms, hand grenades, bombs and all the devices for life-taking which the trench warfare at short distance has brought into use. The position of the French troops is in every way favorable. There follows a passage on the development of the machine gun in this kind of warfare, Owing to the extended use of this weapon. The number supplied to the various units has been appreciably increased, says the review. Not only is each unit in possession of its full regulation complement of machine guns, but the number of these guns attached to each unit has been increased since February 1 by one-third. The report next passes to the Transport Service, which, it says, has worked with remarkable precision since the beginning of the war. The section of the review closes by referring to food supplies for the army, which are described as abundant. London, March 27. Correspondence of the Associated Press. The eighth installment of the French official review of the war previous chapters of which have been published, takes up the German losses of officers, the wastage of guns and projectiles, and, the moral wastage of the German army, the chapter on losses of officers begins with the statement that the condition of the cadres, or basic organizations, in the German army is bad, the proportion of officers, and notably of officers by profession, has been enormously reduced, it says, and a report made in December showed that in a total of 124 companies active or reserve. There were only 49 officers of the active army. The active regiments had at the present time. According to the review, an average of 12 professional officers, the reserve regiments, 9 to 10, the reserve regiments of new formation, 6 to 7, and it is to be remembered that these officers have to be drawn upon afresh for the creation of new units. If Germany creates new army corps, and if the war lasts 10 months, it continues she will reduce almost to nothing the number of professional officers in each regiment a number which already is very insufficient French conditions in contrast the French report points out that on the other hand all the French regiments have been constantly kept at a minimum figure of 18 professional officers per regiment at the same time it admits that the commanders of German Corps commanders of active battalions and the officers attached to the commanders of army corps are officers by profession the French report then addresses itself to the wastage of material. Discussing the wastage of guns, it says, it is easy to ascertain the German losses in artillery. On December 28th the 66th Regiment of Artillery entrained at Courtray for Germany 22 guns, of which 18 were used up. This figure is extremely high for a single regiment. The same facts have been ascertained as regards heavy artillery. On December 21st and 2277 guns of heavy artillery which were no longer serviceable, were sent to Cologne. These movements, which are not isolated facts, show how ill the German artillery has resisted the ordeal of the campaign. Other proofs, moreover, are decisive. For some weeks we had noted the very peculiar aspect of the marking on the bands of a great number of shells of the 77 gun. When these markings are compared with those of shells fired three months ago it is plain beyond all question that the tubes are worn and that many of them require to be replaced. This loss in guns is aggravated by the necessity which has arisen of drawing upon the original army corps for the guns assigned to the recently formed corps or those in course of formation. Several regiments of field artillery have, in fact, had to give up to batteries, wearing out of material. These two phenomena wearing out of material and drafts upon batteries will inevitably result either in the reduction of batteries from six to four guns, or reduction of the number of batteries in the army corps or the partial substitution for 77 guns of 9 centimeter cannon of the old pattern, the presence of which has been many times perceived at the front. Furthermore, the German artillery lacks and has lacked for a very long time munitions. It has been obliged to reduce its consumption of shells in a notable degree. No doubt is possible in this respect. The statements of prisoners since the Battle of the Marne, and still more since the Battle of the Isar, Make it clear that the number of shots allowed to the batteries for each action is strictly limited. We have found on officers killed or taken prisoner the actual orders prescribing positively a strict economy of munitions. For the last three months, too, we notice that the quality of the projectiles is mediocre. Many of them do not burst. On January 7, in the course of a bombardment of Lavity, scarcely any of the German shells burst. The proportion of non-bursts was estimated at two-fifths by the British on December 14th, two-thirds by ourselves in the same month. On January 3rd at borg common and at other places since then, shrapnel fell the explosion of which scarcely broke the envelope and the bullets were projected without any force. About the same time our 14th Army Corps was fired at with shrapnel loaded with fragments of glass, and on several points of our front shell casings of very bad quality have been found denoting hasty manufacture and the use of materials taken at hazard. From numerous indications it appears that the Germans are beginning to run short of their 1898 pattern rifle. A certain number of the last reinforcements January are armed with carbines or rifles of a poor sort without bayonets. Others had not even rifles. Prisoners taken at Wovre had old pattern weapons. The upshot of these observations is that Germany, despite her large stores at the beginning, and the great resources of her industrial production. Presence manifest signs of wear, and that the official optimism which she displays does not correspond with the reality of the facts. Moral wastage. Under the caption, Moral wastage of the German army. The review continues, The material losses of the German army have corresponded with a moral wastage which it is interesting and possible to follow, both from the interrogation of prisoners and the pocketbooks and letters seized upon them or on the killed. At the beginning of the war, the entire German army, as was natural, was animated by an unshakable faith in the military superiority of the empire. It lived on the recollections of 1870 and on those of the long years of peace, during which all the powers which had to do with Germany displayed toward her a spirit of conciliation and patience which might pass for weakness. The first prisoners we took in August showed themselves wholly indifferent to the reverses of the German army. They were sincerely and profoundly convinced that If the German army retired, it was in virtue of a preconceived plan, and that our successes would lead to nothing. The events at the end of August were calculated to strengthen this contention in the minds of the German soldiers. The strategic retreat of the French army, the facility with which the German armies were able to advance from August 25 to September 5, gave our adversaries a feeling of absolute and final superiority. Which manifested itself at that time by all the statements gleaned and all the documents seized, at the moment of the Battle of the Marne the first impression was one of failure of comprehension and of stupor. A great number of German soldiers, notably those who fell into our hands during the first days of that battle, believed fully, as at the end of August, that the retreat they were ordered to make was only a means of luring us into a trap. German military opinion was suddenly converted when the soldiers saw that this retreat continued and that it was being carried out in disorder, under conditions which left no doubt as to its cause and its extent, this time it was really a defeat, and a defeat aggravated by the absence of regular supplies and by the physical and moral depression which was the result, the severity of the losses sustained, the overpowering effects of the French artillery, began from this moment to be noted in the German pocketbooks with veritable terror, hope revived, however, at the end of some weeks and there is to be found in the letters of soldiers and officers the announcement of, a great movement, which is being prepared, and which is to elite the German armies anew as far as Paris, losses in, Battle of Calais, this is the great, Battle of Calais, which, contrary to the anticipations of the enemy, was in reality fought to the east of the Isar, the losses of the Germans, which during those ten days exceeded 150.000 men, and may perhaps have reached 200.000, produced a terrifying impression on the troops. From that moment prisoners no longer declared themselves sure of success. For a certain time they had been consoled by the announcement of the capture of Warsaw. This pretended success having proved to be fictitious, incredulity became general. During the last two months the most intelligent of the prisoners had all admitted that no one could any longer say on which side victory would rest. If we think of the absolute confidence with which the German people had been sustained, this avowal is of great importance. Letters seized on a dead officer speak of the imminence of a military and economic hemming in of Germany. They discuss the possibility of Germany finding herself after the war with empty hands and pockets turned inside out. There is no longer any question of imposing the conqueror's law upon adversaries at his mercy, but of fighting with the energy of despair to secure an honorable peace an officer of the general staff who was made prisoner on January 18 said, perhaps the struggle of despair has already begun. There follows a chapter bearing the title, The System of Lies, in which the review describes the methods by which it is alleged the German government made a sustained effort to create in the army an artificial state of mind based entirely upon lies and a scientific system of fables. Sonnet on the Belgian Island by Thomas Hardy From King Albert's book, I dreamt that people from the land of chimes arrived one autumn morning with their bells, to hoist them on the towers and citadels of my own country, that the musical rhymes rung by them into space at measured times amid the market's daily stir and stress, and the night's empty starlit silentness, might solace souls of the sand kindred climes. Then I awoke, and, lo, before me stood the vision ones, but pale and full of fear, from Bruges they came, and 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 ostend no carillon's in their train, vicissitude the had left these dinkling to the invader's ear, and ravaged street, and smouldering gable end. war correspondence A Month of German Submarine War by Vice Admiral Kirchhoff of the German Navy under the heading, A Month of U-Boat War, Vice Admiral Kirchhoff of the German Navy discusses the German submarine warfare against merchant shipping in its first month, the article, appearing in the Hamburger Framdenblatt of March 19, 1915 is reproduced, on March 18th a month had passed since the beginning of our sharp procedure against our worst foe, we can in every way be satisfied with the results achieved in the meantime, in spite of all, steps, taken before and thereafter, the English had everywhere had important losses to show at sea some 200 ships lost since the beginning of the war, according to the latest statements of the Allies so that even they themselves no longer dare to talk about the, German bluff. On the new and greater war zone established by us, our submarines have known how to work bravely, and have been able, for instance, to operate successfully on a single morning on the east coast, in the Channel, and in the Irish Sea. We had heard of many losses of our opponents, and on the other hand of the subjugation of only two of our brave U-boats. Ceaselessly they are active on the coasts of Albion, shipping is paralyzed at some points, Steamship companies including also many neutral ones have suspended their sailings, in short, our threat of a more acute condition of war, with all means at hand, has been fully fulfilled. The peaceful shipping, too, has taken notice of it and adjusted itself according to our instructions. The official objections of neutrals have died away without effect, throughout the world we have already been given right, the shipping circles of the neutral states are in great part holding entirely back. The anti threats that floated over to us from across the channel, that the captured crews of German submarines will be treated differently than other prisoners yes, as plain pirates and sea robbers those are nothing but an insignificant bulletin on a British, moral insanity, they are a part of the hypocritical cant without which, somehow, Great Britain cannot get along, if Great Britain should act in accordance with it, however, then we shall know what we, for our part, have to do. German and probably English mines, too, have helped our submarines in clearing up among the English mercadile and war fleet. Many merchant ships warned long in advance have been compelled to believe in the warning, and with them frequently a great part of their crews, without any warning whatever. As our opponents like to say, all measures of defense, yes, even more significant, all measures of deception and boastful ruses de guerre and even all attempts to hash up the news of German accomplishments and whenever possible to suppress it completely all these efforts have been futile. Our results surpass the expectations that have been cherished. Who knows how many accomplishments other than those which have been published may also have been achieved, for in newspapers report a large number of steamships overdue. From overseas likewise we receive favorable reports about the sinking of enemy ships but the best is the news that our submarines have succeeded in sinking two English auxiliary cruisers and perhaps also one or two larger English transport ships with several thousand men on board. The last announcement has filled us all with greatest satisfaction. This, our latest method of warfare, is truly humane, it leads more speedily to the goal than anything else, so that the number of victims will in the end be smaller after all. It brings peace to all of us sooner than the empty paper protests and crying to heaven about violence and international law, law of the sea, and laws of humanity could do. In the innocent exalted island kingdom many a fellow is already striking, why should not even the recruit strike, Who is also beginning to get a glimmer of the truth that there are no props in the ocean waves. The more opponents come before the bows of our ships and are sunk, the better, down with them to the bottom of the sea, that alone will help. Let us hope that we shall soon receive more such cheerful news. Three weeks of the war in Champagne by a British observer The following article, issued by the British Press Bureau, London, March 18, 1915, is from a British observer with the French forces in the field who has the permission of General Schaffer to send communications home from time to time, giving descriptions of the work, and see, of the French army which will be of interest to the British reader. I propose to give some account of the operations which have been in progress for the last three weeks in Champagne. Every day since February 15th the official communiqués find something to say about a district which lies midway between Rheims and Verdun. The three places which are always mentioned, which form the points of reference, are Perth's Les Hurlews, Almasville Les Hurlews, and Beau's Jauer Farm. The distance between the first and the last is three and one-half miles, the front on which the fighting has taken place is about five miles, and the French have been attacking at one point or another in this front every day for the last three weeks. It island therefore, an operation of a different kind to those which we have seen during the winter months. Those were local efforts, lasting a day or two, designed to keep the enemy busy and prevent him from withdrawing troops elsewhere, this is a sustained effort made with the object of keeping a constant pressure on his first line of defense, of affecting his use of the railway from Buzancourt to Chella Range, a few miles to the north, and of wearing down his reserves of men and ammunition. It may be said that February 15 marks the opening of the 1915 campaign, and that this first phase will find an important place when the history of the war comes to be written. We must first know something of the nature of the country, which is entirely different to that in which the British Army is fighting. It is one vast plain, undulating, the hills at most 200 feet higher than the valleys, gentle slopes everywhere, the soil is rather chalky, poor, barely worth cultivating, after heavy rain the whole plain becomes a sea of shallow wood, and it dries equally quickly. The only features are the pine woods, which have been planted by hundreds, from the point of view of profit, this would not appear to have been a success, either the soil is too poor, or else it is unsuitable to the maritime pine. For the trees are rarely more than twenty-five feet high. As each rise is topped, a new stretch of plain, a new set of small woods appear, just like that which has been left behind. Illustration: Elyudharios Kavvianisianos, the great Greek statesman who recently resigned as prime minister. Photo from Madeon Photo Service. Illustration: Lord Hardinge of the who, as viceroy, rules England's Indian Empire during the critical period of the war. The villages are few and small, most of them are in ruins after the fighting in September, and the troops live almost entirely in colonies of little huts of wood or straw, about four feet high, dotted about in the woods, in the valleys, wherever a little water and shelter is obtainable. Lack of villages means lack of roads, this has been one of the great difficulties to be faced, but, at the same time, the movement of wagons across country is possible to a far greater extent than in Flanders although it is often necessary to use eight or ten horses to get a gun or wagon to the point desired, from the military point of view the country is eminently suitable for troops, with its possibilities of concealment, of producing sudden surprises with cavalry, and of maneuver generally, it island in fact, the training ground of the great military center of Calons, and French troops have doubtless been exercised over this ground in every branch of military operation, except that in which they are engaged at the present moment, What commander, training his men over this ground, could have imagined that the area from Perth's Les Hurlews to Boesjour Farm would become two fortress lines, developed and improved for four months, or that he would have to carry out an attack modelled on the same system as that employed in the last great siege undertaken by French troops, that of Sebastopol in 1855? Yet this is what is being done. Every day an attack is made on a trench on the edge of one of the little woods or to gain ground in one of them, every day the ground gained has to be transformed so as to give protection to its new occupants and means of access to their supports, every night, and on many days, the enemy's counter-attacks have to be repulsed, each attack has to be prepared by a violent and accurate artillery fire, it may be said that a trench has to be morally captured by gunfire before it can be actually seized by the infantry, once in the new trench, the men have to work with their entrenching tools, without exposing themselves, and wait for a counter-attack, doing what damage they can to the enemy with hand grenades and machine guns. Thus the amount of rifle fire is very small, it is a war of explosives and bayonets. Looking at the battle at a distance of about 2.000 yards from the enemy's line, the stillness of what one sees is in marked contrast to the turmoil of shells passing overhead. The only movement is the cloud of smoke and earth that marks the burst of a shell, here and there long white lines are visible, when a trench has brought the chalky subsoil up to the top, but the number of trenches seen is very small compared to the number that exist, for one cannot see into the valleys, and the top of the ground is an unhealthy place to choose for seeding a trench, the woods are upon out with the names given them by the soldiers but it needs field glasses to see the few stumps that remain and knows where the artillery has done its work. And then a telephone message arrives, saying that the enemy are threatening a counter-attack at a certain point, and three minutes later there is a redoubled whistling of shells. That first one cannot see the result of this fire the guns are searching the low ground where the enemy's reserves are preparing for the movement, but a little later the ground in front of the threatened trench becomes alive with shell bursts for the searching has given place to the building up of a wall of fire through which it is impossible for the foe to pass without enormous loss. The attached map may enable us to look more closely at what has been achieved. The lowest dotted line, numbered 15, is the line of the French trenches on February 15th. They were then close up to the front of the German line with its network of barbed wire, its machine gun emplacements, often of concrete, and its underground chambers for sheltering men from the shells. Each successive dotted line shows the line held by the French on the evening of the date written in the dotted line, thus the total gain of ground, that between the most southerly and the most northerly dotted lines, varies between 200 yards, where the lines are closed together northeast of Perth's, and 1.400 yards, halfway between Oresdale and Boesjower farm. But the whole of this space has been a series of trenches and fortified woods, each of which has had to be attacked separately. Illustration map of the French operations in the Champagne Some of the severest fighting on the Western Battlefront took place in this little section of about four miles of trenches, lying between Rheims and Verdun. For a whole month from February 15, the attacks were kept up by the French forces almost continuously, and the sketch gives the graphic result of changes for three weeks of that time. Ostensibly the purpose of the French was to pierce the German line and cut the railway a few miles to the rear. Incidentally, the French aim to keep their opponents busy, and thus prevent any reinforcements being sent to von Hindenburg in the east. The total gain of ground that between the most southerly and most northerly dotted lines varies from 200 yards northeast of Perth's to 1.400 yards, halfway between Oresville and Boesjower Farm. But the whole of this space has been a series of trenches and fortified woods, each of which had to be attacked separately. The letters A2G in the sketch indicate the points of the severest fighting of the little fort, was taken and lost three times before the French finally held it. We saw some of the stiffest encounters, the Germans attacking the hill nearly every day after the French captured it, and even the Prussian guard being put in. The woods at C.D. and E. were centers of terrific combats, in which trenching and mining were continuous tasks. The redoubt at F. was captured only after large losses on both sides. At the extreme west is still another wood. Gee which the French attacked three times before they were successful in getting a foothold there. Some of the points where the fighting has been heaviest are shown in letters on the map. That is the, Little Fort, a redoubt on an open spur, holding perhaps 500 men. This was first attacked in January, it was.